Well, good morning. <clears throat> Again, it is, as always, an honor to bring the Word of God to you people. And can I just say, I love doing this with you guys. You're family. And I'm honored. Well, today we finish Matthew chapter and we are one-third of the way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But we also end this section, this portion of his sermon, and so we're going to wrap up a few things. And Jesus is going to say some radical stuff again today, some bold statements. And here's a spoiler alert. Loving your enemies is not probably the boldest thing he's going to say in this passage this morning. We began this section of his sermon where Jesus said, I, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill it. And then he made this crazy statement that he said, and your righteousness needs to be greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees or you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I have a feeling this got people's attention. Those were the people they held in high esteem as the holy people. And he just said, your righteousness has to be greater. Today he's going to conclude this section of his sermon. You're going to see next week there is a drastic change in how Jesus is teaching. But today he's going to conclude by saying, oh, and you need to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. If you thought he put the bar high with the first statement, he just seemed to have put it out of reach with the second. In between, he made six times he made the statement, you have heard it said, but I say, and he is each time looking back into the Levitical law and saying, hey, for years now you have been taught, tradition has said, this is how you live this out. And each time Jesus says, but I am here to tell you the truth. I am here to show you God's heart. I am here to tell you that he desires for your heart to be in alignment with his. For you to reflect the nature of this almighty God. I just hit my screen and jumped about three pages. Well, I don't know why you've come this morning. I hope that you've come to gather as God's people, as his bride we call the church, his bride, to praise him in song, to worship him in song, to be in his word together. Together. That's why I, I, I love doing this with you guys. But I also know that maybe some of you have come because you are just trying to figure out life. Maybe some of you go, I don't really have a choice. I get that. I can tell you that you could ask my kids at some point in their life and they would say, yeah, I don't think I had a choice. 
praise God, I think they all go now because they want to. But I understand that you might be here because you don't have a choice. You might be here because it's what you do on Sunday morning. We go to church. We do it every Sunday. It's what my parents did. It's what I do. It's what my kids do. I don't know why you're here this morning, but I would ask you to be honest with yourself this morning because it's in me that there are times in my life in following Jesus where I I sense this. Is there more? Is Jesus calling me to more in following him? It seems like I have just gotten into a comfortable routine. But is there more? Is there more to life? Is there more to following Jesus? I think Jesus is going to answer that today. And I would encourage you, for whatever reason you you are here this morning, God has brought you here. Would you listen to these words of Jesus, this invitation of Jesus to follow him in the way that he is calling you? So we're going to pray and just ask for God to do that work in us. Father, we ask, we know that in our hearts we do not desire, and so we ask by the power of your Spirit that this morning we would hear these words of Jesus. Your Holy Spirit would be calling us to lay aside the things that Jesus would say, you have been told. And to embrace what he is calling us to. We ask that your word would be alive in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here Jesus again, for the last time, is going to say, let me read it. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So Jesus again is saying, you have heard it said. Where is he going? He's going back to Levitical law. Where? Well, he's going back to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, 18 says this, and this is where they took it from. It says, you shall not take, a, take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. As I read that, do you notice something seems to be missing from how it has migrated to the time of Jesus where they, he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbors, oh wait, and hate your enemies. I look at Leviticus and I go, whoa, 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 time out. Where is the hate your enemy part? Well, that's just common sense, isn't it? God is calling us and he even says specifically, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Okay. And I think this is how they migrated. 
but love your neighbors as yourself. Ah, and hate everybody else. We are allowed by God to hate our enemies. At least that's what they said, what they had drawn the conclusion of. And Jesus here says, I'm not even saying hate your enemies. I'm not saying avoid your enemies. I'm going to jump all the way to love your enemies. How in the world did Jesus make that leap? I, I can say how in the world did they make the leap to hate your enemies, but like, how did Jesus make that leap to love your enemies? Well, here's the good thing. As we've been in Matthew 5, as I've been studying, I have loved this. I don't know if you've loved this. I have loved digging into this. And Jesus is preaching. One of the hard things for me, I love teaching. Preaching is a different animal. I've said that because why? I am proclaiming something. We don't have conversation. We, and when I teach, if you've ever sat in one of my classes or when I have a small group or something, I like to have conversation. But preaching is proclamation. It's something we do on Sunday mornings. And I think it's valuable. But it doesn't give us the, the utensils to have communication. And what I've discovered is here Jesus is preaching on the side of a mountain and he is preaching. He is proclaiming God's truth to, to his disciples primarily, but there's a crowd that has gathered to listen in. But here's the cool thing. Jesus, is, this isn't the last time he makes statements like these. You will see through the rest of the Gospels that as he ministers, as he walks and talks and hangs out with people, these things come up again in arenas that are built for conversation. And so we're going to look at what he said here today, but we're also going to look at passages where he kind of unpacks these things. And it's so helpful to us. So this question of, how did you get to love our enemies? I think Jesus will unpack that for us. So let's start in Matthew twenty-two thirty-four to 40. where Jesus is asked this question. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, two political groups, really, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, now, I don't like this translation in the ESV. It says a lawyer because we tend to think of our lawyers, right? Okay, this would have been an expert in the law, somebody that understood Mosaic law, okay? So a lawyer asked him a question to test him. Again, this comes up, to test him, to tempt him. They're trying to, can we trip this guy up on what he says? He said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the, the law and the prophets. Do you hear that? Jesus said, I came. I thought it was an interesting phrase when we first hit Matthew 5. This phrase of I've come to fulfill all the law and the prophets. And here Jesus is asked, what's the greatest command? 
And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, which means he is connecting these two. He is connecting them in a way that you cannot separate them. He says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This seems to be foundational. This is why it's so important. I think this is why Jesus concluded this section of his sermon with this, because it's like this wraps up everything. You can wrap up the whole law in these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all that you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is so important. And then the question is, well, I think what Jesus is saying, you cannot love God if you do not love your neighbor. Okay? You hear that? These two are linked. You cannot, all the law says, we can wrap them up in these, and you cannot love God if you do not love your neighbor. And I think, I think this Pharisee would agree. He understands that. So what it begs this question, who is my neighbor? That sounds like a familiar question. Have you ever heard that question in your study? If you've been in the Word, I think you probably have heard that question asked to Jesus. And I love that, that he has an answer for this. So now we go to Luke 10. Luke 10, 25 to 37. I'm going to read the beginning of it. Listen to this. And it will sound very familiar. I've never seen all of this connected. And behold, a lawyer, again, an expert of the law, stood up to put him to the test. Okay, this is an ongoing thing where Jesus would go and teach, and you kept getting the Pharisees, these, these experts in the law, that wanted to ask the tough questions. If you've taught maybe a Sunday school class, you have that kid that wants to ask the tough questions, right? Well, that's what's going on. And here we have another expert in the law that wants to ask him a question, a testing question. And he said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We want to see if you're a heretic. Teacher, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus is a rabbi, okay? I love this. It took me a long time to realize this because I'd go, yeah, have you ever noticed when people ask Jesus a question, often he answers their question with a question? What? This was normal for a rabbi. It's a great tool. It's a great tool to get your student to discover for themselves the answer to the question they've asked you. And so often a rabbi would ask them a question back that would help them unpack and get the answer themselves. Another tactic would be they would tell a story or a parable that would then let them discover the answer for themselves. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He said to him, what is written in the law? You're an expert in the law. What's written in the law? And he says, how do you read it? I love this. You've heard it said, how do you read it? And listen to the answer this expert in the lost gives. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Do you see how this keeps coming up as foundational stuff in this expert in the law knows you can give the whole law. How do I get eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is getting to the heart of this whole thing that is so foundational to the heart of God. Jesus is going to tell the parable now to help this this expert in the law understand who is my neighbor. And we need to hear that as well. And we'll see how Jesus makes this jump from loving your neighbor to loving your enemy. To a Jew, a Samaritan was extremely hated. Every Jew hated the Samaritans. Now why? We're not going to go into all the history, but during the captivity, captivity, the Babylonians took many of the Jewish people into exile into Babylon. And their tactic was, and then we put other people in their place. If we mix up all the, the, the places that we conquer, they lose their identity, they lose who they are, they intermarry and blend into this new group of people, and they don't have that identity of the group that we took out of the land. And that's what they did. They took many of the Jewish people into captivity, and then they filled the land with others. And the remnant of Jews that stayed in the land over time intermarried with, with these foreigners. They built their own temple. And when the Jews came back and built their temple, they considered these Others, not Jews, but half-breeds who they hated because their views of God and their uncleanness in marrying foreign people. This is how much they hated them. Dean, could you throw the map up there? Okay, so here is a, a map of Israel, and, and you see right, that slice right in the middle is Samaria. And so if you're a good Jew, you have heard it said, and you, you were up in the upper part, you were in Capernaum or Canaan, Nazareth, okay, areas where Jesus ministered, and you were going down to Jerusalem, to the temple, or Jericho, or anywhere down in the southern region, you would have to walk right through the, the territory where the Samaritans lived. And you would never do that. What you would do is you would be willing to walk all the way east to the other side of the Jordan River, walk all the way south to where you are past the area of Samaria, and then walk into Jerusalem, Jericho, wherever you were going. Adding a ton of extra mileage. This is why when Jesus, everybody remembers this, and Jesus says, he had to go through Samaria. 
That didn't mean there was no other choice. Every good Jew would go around Samaria, but he felt compelled by the Father to go right into Samaria. So now Jesus is going to tell this parable to this Jewish lawyer to help him understand the question, who is my neighbor? And he tells of a Jewish man who is going from, I love, it says going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and I'm always like, no, it's going up. Elevation, Jerusalem is up, everything else is down. And so he is going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he is met by some robbers who beat him to a pulp, take his stuff, and leave him for dead on the side of the road. And then Jesus says, a short time thereafter, a Jewish priest, okay, somebody considered extremely religious, a good Jew, comes down that road and seeing the man there on the side, hurt and dying, walks to the other side and continues on. Jesus said then a short time later, a second man, a Levite, he would be a Jewish man from the tribe of Levi if he wasn't of the uh, uh, lineage of Aaron, who were the priests, he would have been an assistant priest, okay? So you have a priest that comes by. Now you have an assistant priest, okay? A holy man. And as he comes, he sees this man beat up and dying on the side of the road. And Jesus says, he sees him, walks on the other side, and continues on. And then Jesus said, a Samaritan comes. I never thought of this. I never saw this. But Jesus is laying this story out in reverse to help this man understand who is his neighbor. And he says, a Samaritan. Probably most Jews would go, no, let me die, don't, don't touch me. A Samaritan comes, and seeing the man dying on the side of the road, stops, has compassion for him, gets down, dresses his wounds, puts oil on them, puts him on his animal, takes him to the nearest inn, stays with him that night, caring for him. The next morning, he pays the innkeeper and says, here, here's money to take care of this man while I go. In a few days, I will return, and if, if, there, are more, if there is more cost, I will pay it when I return. And then Jesus concludes this, this parable, asking this expert in the law, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And this is the answer the, the expert in the law gave. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go, do likewise. How did Jesus get to this idea of loving your enemies? Well, Jesus' definition of neighbor was different 
than the Jewish traditional definition of neighbor. And I would guess it's probably different than the, the definition we tend to hold to, even though we might not want to admit it. Jesus made this Jewish expert in law understand who is my neighbor. Well, to a Jew before this, they would say, my neighbor is somebody that looks like me, talks like me, worships like me, lives the way I do, and God loves. Who are your enemies? Well, I can tell you a bunch of them, including these Samaritans who God hates. And so I hate as well. But Jesus had a different mindset and a different definition of who is my neighbor. Jesus' definition was everyone is made in the image of God. And your neighbor is those that God puts within your sphere of influence. For you particularly, your neighbor is the one God places in your sphere of influence. That's who your neighbor is. And he shares that through this parable. And this expert in the law, I believe, gets it. Now, I think that's how Jesus gets to this point where he says, I tell you, don't hate your your enemies, but instead love them because they are your neighbors. What does loving your enemy look like? In English, we have a problem with the words like love. Okay? We have one big word, love. Right? I can tell you I love you guys. I do. I love you differently than I love my wife. I love you differently than I love ice cream. Comet was hopping last night. <laughs> I was tempted to get some. Line was too long. I said, okay, God, I get it. I love ice cream. But but that doesn't mean the same thing, right? And so we see love your enemy, and we're like, hang on. What does that mean? Well, the word that's used here in in the, the original Greek is the word agape. In Greek, you have at least four major words used for love, and we wrap it all up into one, love. The word here is agape, and I want you to understand, agape is not this emotion. It's not this emotion, this fuzzy feeling that says, oh, I love you. Jesus was not saying, hey, have fond affection, that, that, that feeling in your heart for your enemy. Agape is intentionally taking on an attitude and a mindset that leads to action. I love that. Taking on a mindset, an attitude that leads to action. It's what Jesus just described in the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan sees somebody created in the image of God. And this guy should never respond this way. He is a, a heathen. He is not loved by God. He, he's my enemy. No, God is saying, he understands it. Do you? There is a person in need who bears the image of God. And I am going to take on an attitude that I need to respond in action to this need. 
he stops and he helps. Let me ask you this question. Who's your enemy? Maybe you go, I don't have any. I would ask like David, let God examine your heart. What, what, I've, what I've realized in the last two and a half years it's become more obvious who our enemies are. I think we, through politics and views on COVID and gender or race, or there are so many things that have really made us tribal and we divide into our groups and we go, it's us against them. That's our enemy. And God needs us to take a stand and to tell them how much we hate them. Now, we might not put it in those words, but our actions tend to display that. This morning, two hours ago, I was in a dentist chair. Yeah. I uh, broke a temporary bridge late last night. I have a wonderful dentist, Dr. Z. And, and I called him on his cell phone because I have his cell phone. He said, call me if you have a need. I called him and I said, Dr. Z, I broke my bridge and I'm preaching in the morning. He's like, oh, let me see if I can get an assistant and get you in. I'll call you back. He called me back late last night. He said, can you be there at 7.30 in the morning? I said, yes. He said, okay. Get in there. We can fix you up. I said, no Novocaine, right? He said, no. I said, okay. <laughs> but here was an interesting part of the conversation I had with Kara, his assistant. I said, you know, one of the things I, I struggle with is I, I realize I clinch my teeth at night. And, and, and that's not good when you have temporary bridges and stuff. And she says, you know, over the last two and a half years, we have seen a lot of people that seem to have done more damage to their teeth because of clinching and grinding. And Right? It's, it's made us anxious. It's made us angry. It's made us declare it's us versus them. This is not new. This is what Jesus was dealing with. And so let me ask you, what would it look like for you to love your enemies? I said that our neighbor was anybody that God put within our sphere of influence. You know, our sphere of influence today is much larger than it was here when Jesus was saying these words. We broadcast across social media we have so many platforms where we can declare our righteousness and our anger towards others. Now, I don't want to get political at all. I want to get biblical. But Jesus is saying, love your neighbor, which includes your enemies, those that don't look like you, think like you, that you want to yell at, that you want to Tell them why they're so wrong. And Jesus isn't saying don't speak truth. I believe that loving means speaking truth. What I have learned, though, sometimes in loving your enemy, you become the enemy of those that you thought were your friends. But Jesus is calling us to love 
our enemies. Put on an attitude, a mindset that says, I am going to do actions to demonstrate not my love for you, but God's love for you. Here's here's one thing I think is important. Agape love does not mean you agree with that person. Okay, hear that. A few years ago, uh, I had a friend who who came back and and told shared with me some things that they knew I would definitely disagree with biblically. And I went, oh, what do I do with this? I said, let's get together and talk. Now, this was a person I really did care about. They weren't an enemy. This was somebody I cared about. I said, let's get together. And in the conversation, I said probably at least four times, now, you know I think this is wrong, right? Yeah. And then I would, I would talk. And finally, I felt convicted. And I said, I apologize. I am so sorry. Because something in me makes me feel like I need to express that I think this is wrong, just so you don't get the idea that I'm okay with this. I know you don't get that idea. I care. And we had great conversation. We still have great friendship. And we still disagree deeply. But I would do anything for that person. Why? We're called to love them. Put on an attitude and a mindset that says, I care, I have compassion, that will lead to action. And it doesn't mean that I agree with what you're doing, but it means that I will love you as God loves you. Now Jesus gets to the, to the boldest statement because he finishes up this passage by saying, so... read it. You, therefore, must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. I don't know when you hear that if you're just like, okay, not even going there. Not even an option, okay. I get it. We're supposed to be really good, right? Try really hard. No, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. Maybe your reaction is like, I'm out. We, we have some people that are going to become members today, I hear. I won't pick on any of them, but what if all of you that are members or going to be members, what if one of the requirements for membership here at Meadows Christian Fellowship was you need to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect? <laughs> I, hear the, I hear the laughs, right? Like, okay, we're an empty church then, Right? Jesus says this for a reason, and it isn't because, like, none of you will make it. Hear this. This isn't condemnation. This is invitation. Okay? How does Jesus get here? Well, he says this love, this agape love, why should you do it? God does it. The, the rain and the sunshine, just two simple things that you see. God doesn't withhold that from the evil or unjust. He, he provides it for the evil and the, and the good, the just and the unjust. God gives common grace to all humanity because they are image bearers of him. 
But this whole idea of be perfect, and he's speaking to his disciples. People are listening, but remember, he's speaking to his disciples. So you guys, you fishermen that just said, I'm in, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, we got, we got to unpack that word perfect just like we did love. We tend to think of perfect as without blemish, not a thing wrong with it. And you go, mm, not me. Got the wrong guy. Here's what this word means in, in the Greek language. It means whole, complete, mature. Jesus is inviting you not to go, hey, be perfect. Remember what I said about your righteousness has to be greater than that? The scribes and say, oh, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Ah, be perfect or you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. This isn't condemnation. It goes, all of you fail. This is invitation. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be complete, mature? Do you want all that God is offering you? At the beginning, I said, why are you here? And I know that there is this, this angst in us that says, is there something more? Is there something more to life? Is there something more to following Jesus? And I think Jesus is saying right here, do these things, because God your Father would do them. And as you do them, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do these things, you will find that you will become whole and complete, not lacking anything. This word, perfect, it shows up another place here in the Gospel of Matthew. You've probably heard this story, but as I read it and studied it this week, it made so much sense to Jesus' invitation. Matthew 19, verses 16 to 26, but I'm going to read in particular verses 20 and 21. There's a rich young man who comes to Christ and he says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, and this catches you by surprise, like, keep the commandments. And this young man says, which ones? And Jesus lifts, lifts off just some representable, representative ones, I think. But he, the last one he lists is, love your neighbor as yourself. This is just permeated through what Jesus calls us to. And this is the response, because the young man then says, I've done those things. What else? I think he's feeling what, what most of us feel. Like, uh, I've done those things. I've gone to church. I read my Bible. I'm trying to do Is there more? Jesus, am I supposed to do more? And I think this is what Jesus invites us to. Jesus said, well, the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, 
Go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. This was an invitation. He says, you want to be whole? You want to be complete? You want to have everything that you're looking for in life? You have everything physically that you need. You have the money. I think of Matthew himself who is writing this, a tax collector who seemed to have everything that he needed financially. And I go, he responded to Jesus in a different way. He left it to follow Jesus. And this young man, it says, he turned and went away sad because he had much. One of the other Gospels said that Jesus looked at him and loved him. This was an invitation. Like you are holding on to your wealth, your power. It gives you identity. It's where you're putting your trust. Like if I give this up, then what? I'm not willing to just follow you. I think if you had asked Matthew, Matthew, you left all of that to follow Jesus. Was it worth it? I think, I know he would have said yes. I think of all the other disciples, the fishermen, when Jesus ascended back into heaven. Ask yourself this question. Do you hear Peter talking to John and say, hey, you know what? When Jesus, we were down there fishing and Jesus said, hey, follow me. I wish I'd have said no. Think of all the trouble it's gotten me. No, I guarantee you all these disciples went to their death because they followed Jesus and found wholeness, completeness, maturity, all that God was offering them. And I would, and I would say that if we don't follow Jesus in radical, crazy ways, what we find is frustration, anger, bitterness, because we think we should be doing more in following the rules instead of following Jesus. Jesus is making an invitation to this young man, and he had to decide. Jesus is finishing this section of his sermon And he is making the same offer to us. Are you going to be willing to lay aside your anger? Because it's like murder. Lay aside that lust, that divorce. Are you willing to keep your oath, go the second mile, not retaliate? Love your enemy? Jesus could have spoke for hours and hours. These are just a sample of the heart that God desires. It's a transformation of the heart that changes everything. And you find wholeness, completeness, maturity, joy. And when we follow halfway, we find frustration. Because Jesus didn't offer halfway. So as we... As we close, we are going to move into a time of communion. What I'd ask is, are you willing to let God search your heart? Are you willing to say, Jesus, where am I not following you in radical ways that you've called me to follow you?
Would you give me trust that you are all that I need? And folks, I'm preaching to myself as I preach to you. What are you hanging on to that you need to let go of, give away, throw away, in order to follow Jesus and find that you are, can become perfect as that your heavenly Father is perfect? Father, I, I thank you that we are so undeserving. We look around and we think we are righteous compared to those around us often. Father, help us to realize how unrighteous we are in our own strength, in our own lives. And yet, as we celebrated last week, how righteous Jesus Christ has made us in his death, burial, and resurrection. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit that causes your word to be alive and can even change our hearts to align with yours. Help us now, this day, this week, to love people as you love people, to love our enemies in the name of Jesus. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.